Welcome to In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. Tomorrow, the Mystery Writers of America holds its 71st annual Edgar Awards in New York City, honoring the best in mystery fiction. Southern Illinois-based author Laura Benedict is a finalist in the Best Short Story category for her story, A Paler Shade of Death. I recently talked with Benedict about her nominated work and the Edgar Awards. And their mascot, of course, is Edgar Allan Poe. And the awards they give, um, pr pretty much everybody who writes crime, who publishes crime in the United States is a member of the MWA. And so the Edgar Awards are kind of their Oscars. And oh, okay. it's amazing to be nominated. You know, I mean, of course, the big award is the Best Novel Award. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm nominated for a short story award, the Best Short Story Award, with uh, four other nominees. The short story is A Paler Shade of Death. And I was looking, and it was published, I guess, as part of the anthology St. Louis Noir. And I was looking it up, and one of, one of the reviewers said that this may be the grimmest story I ever chose as my best of the week. And goes on to say that Benedict is not afraid to get her character's hands dirty. If you like your fiction grim, I recommend it. I guess I can't argue <laughs> with that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's a crime story. It's a murder story. Um, you don't read many happy murder stories, you know? Uh, it, it's funny too because I think sometimes people don't necessarily I don't mean to pull the sexism card but they don't necessarily expect women to write dark fiction mm -hmm. and that's something I have always done um, though this time around there's no supernatural elements I, from what I understand it's a story of a, of, of a woman that um, kind of had some difficult life occurrences <laughs> tell us sure. a little bit about about the short story? Well, this woman has moved from a uh, comfortable St. Louis community called Glendale, and she's living in South City, St. Louis. All these stories are set in mm -hmm. St. Louis. And she's uh, her husband is divorcing her. In the trouble in her life, her young son has died. And people suspected that she was actually responsible for his death. Mm -hmm. So she is moving, her whole life is changing, her financial situation has changed, and she's a bit of a wreck. She's a bit of a wreck. And uh, a young boy from, her, from this new neighborhood sort of gloms onto her, and she finds it very unsettling. Hmm. Read some for us, please. Hey, can I help you do that? When the boy approached me the first time, I was trying to wrestle a marble-topped plant stand from where it had caught on the corner of an antique mirror. The cargo area of the Suburban was crowded with the objet d'art and detritus I'd thoughtlessly grabbed in my rush to leave the Glendale house. My house? The house I'd been driven from with a restraining order displayed by the fat off-duty cop whom my husband, Gavin, had hired. The August afternoon was stupidly hot and I was irritated. The last thing I wanted was help. My dad said your kid died. The whole load shifted when I let go of the plant stand and turned to look at the boy standing a couple of feet away in the street. He looked about ten, maybe three years older than my Jeremy would have been in November. His face and limbs were brown the way a kid's skin gets from spending a lot of time outside in the summer. 
The khaki shorts hanging below his motocross t-shirt were worn, but looked too formal for play. My guess was that they were part of someone's hand-me-down Catholic school uniform. He wasn't a bad-looking boy, too skinny, but with widely spaced brown eyes with full lashes and an awkward lopsided grin that was almost charming. I peered over his shoulder at the brick bungalow across the street where I'd noticed him sitting on the porch the day I'd come to sign the lease on the duplex. All of the curtains and shades were shut tight. A square of plywood filled the tiny attic window in the inverted V of the eaves. It didn't look like anyone lived there, let alone a boy and his dad. I wondered if there was a mother involved. He drowned. He said the words matter-of-factly as though he didn't think I knew. Was I going insane? Who would say something like that to a complete stranger? I wondered if something was wrong with him. As far as I knew, my face hadn't been on the news in the years since the trial had ended. The guy who rented me the duplex must have recognized my name or face and told the neighbors. Why hadn't I caught that little flare of recognition and subsequent stealing of the jaw I'd come to expect whenever I told someone my name? But I was out of options. There was nowhere else for me to go except out of St. Louis, and I wasn't ready for that. I don't need any help. Thanks. I quickly redid my loosened ponytail and turned back to dislodging the gilt frame mirror we'd gotten from one of my great aunts as a wedding present. Screw the idiots. Screw the kid's idiot nosy father and the rest of the jerks who were probably this minute peeking out of their J.C. Penny curtains. One by one, I pried things out of the suburban and carried them into the apartment. The mirror, a pie crust table that now had a massive scratch on its face a delicate set of antique curio shelves that had held my mother's teacup collection. The collection was a casualty of one of our disagreements, and I'd thrown the first three cups at Gavin's head, then the remaining ones at the wall because I had, obviously, strangely, felt the need to finish the job after he crawled out of the room. The boy had stepped back into the middle of the street. The way he stood watching but not saying anything else creeped me out. I just deposited a bamboo-patterned umbrella stand that I knew Gavin was particularly fond of on the porch when I saw a red Camaro turn the corner half a block away and accelerate. I glanced from the car to the boy, who was staring blankly at the back of the Suburban, to the car, and back again. The car would hit him straight on, perhaps knocking him up over its hood and into the air, and I would be the only witness. I hurried off the porch, shouting and waving at the car. Car! Get out of the road! The car's horn blared, and the boy looked toward the sound. Finally, he turned and ran for the curb in front of his house. As he bounded up the porch stairs, I found myself noticing how the bottoms of his feet were gray, almost black, with dust. So tell us about Becca. (laughs) (laughs) Her life doesn't seem that unordinary. Um... (laughs) Except for that whole trial Except part. Whole t- <laughs> well, she's an ordinary person thrown into an extraordinary situation. Um, obviously, she took her duties as a mother pretty seriously. Um, but you really have to read the story to find out what sort of mother she actually was. Is it a different process or mindset for you when you're writing short stories as opposed to the Bliss House series or a full-length novel? 
Now, nearly all of my short stories have been straight crime stories as opposed mm-hmm. to supernatural. Mm-hmm. I wrote a few surreal stories that were sort of borderline horror. But my very first story uh, that was widely published in Ellery Queen's Mystery mm-hmm. Magazine back in 2001 was a crime story. And I'm, I, for some reason, I'm just really drawn to the, to the short, you know, poppy mm-hmm. crime story. I really enjoy writing that. Um, it's there's a big difference in writing straight crime and the supernatural. Uh, I'm working on a book now that is straight crime. I've never written a novel length straight crime book, and it has been a huge challenge. But it's very fun. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. It's harder because you have to stay grounded in reality. You can't mm-hmm. just make stuff up. Is it, and I imagine you have a couple of hundred extra pages or so too, that in terms of <laughs> <laughs> plot line and narrative that you have to Well, out. there's, well, yeah, I mean, there's, well, I mean, all of my books are pretty plot driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're character driven, but I really like a strong plot. There's nothing that bores me more than reading a story or a novel where nothing happens. <laughs> so, um, but I really, you really do have to, in any thriller, in any suspense novel, you have to keep the action moving and you have to pay good attention with plot. One of my big problems is that I, that, you know, when I give a book to beta readers, I worry that I ha- don't have enough plot. But what I tend to do is I tend to cram so much into it. Uh, there's a lot going on with a lot of characters. We've talked about the about the kind of the creative process with your with the supernatural series and novels. Is it the same creative process when you're writing about about crime, or do you or do you have to? Is it a slightly different lens that you 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 look at things through when you're when you're writing true crime or a crime story? Well, it's it's really the fact that I do have to stay grounded in the real, in the now. Uh, I have to pay good attention to technology. Um, you know, in a supernatural story, you can move around in time. You can make, you know, phones act strangely. You know, you can, you can cheat a lot. And I say that with all good intentions. Uh, but, it, but the process, the process for me is kind of the same. I start with a kernel of an idea and, you know, or an image. And it, gr- and it grows from there. It grows from there. This story, uh, Paler Shade of Death, actually has its roots in truth. Um, I did live in South St. Louis back in the 80s. And there was a boy who lived across the street. I was living alone. And he was about 10 years old. And he kind of creeped me out <laughs> because he was obviously very lonely and strange and would leave me presents on you know like you know little rocks and things on my front porch and uh but i was paranoid (laughs) so he really (laughs) creeped me out so this story came from a place but i i promise i never killed anyone (laughs) or did anything else in that story (laughs) is it easier to to be firmly grounded in reality when you when a kernel of your idea is based on on a life experience that is it is true. it is because um my crime stories are are based on my feelings of paranoia almost everyone uh childhood fears 
um, fears as a mother, fears of being alone. Um, you know, this, this book, uh, I'm working on one last secret. It came, I, I have recurring dreams about people invading my house and hanging out around outside my house. And, and it all came from that. The book's premise is a woman comes home from a vacation and finds the locks on her house changed and a, a stranger living inside. So yes, definitely grounded in some kind of reality. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would certainly freak me out. Uh, and you say it's the upcoming. That's the, that's that's the new what book I'm working that's on working right on now. That'll be coming out. So the, the, the awards are coming up at the, is it the end of this month? The Edgar Awards are in there? Yes, in, uh, Thursday in, the 27th in New and, York. In, and they're in New York City. And uh, is this the first first time you've been, been nominated? It's the very first time I've been nominated, really, for anything. And uh, I've, I also found out for the other story I published last year, I've been nominated by the um, International Thriller Writers for their best short story category. And that's a whole separate organization for thriller writers. So I'll be going back to New York in July. But I want to say with the Edgars, um, my other nominees are Stephen King, Joyce Carol Oates, Lawrence Block, and a fabulous writer, they're all fabulous writers, named Mag Megan Abbott. And so here I am up against people. I feel like somebody made a huge mistake. <laughs> You're in very good company. I'm in awesome company. So, and it really, it genuinely is true. It's a thrill to be nominated. That's Southern Illinois-based author, Laura Benedict. Her story, A Paler Shade of Death, is an Edgar Award finalist for Best Short Story by the Mystery Writers of America. For this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams.